Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. We are all about empowering connection to develop psychological resilience and emotional well-being in our community, because now, more than ever, we need human connection. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, make sure you share it to someone who you feel this can make a positive impact on. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. We're up to episode 11 now, so we're moving forward, which is exciting, and now more than ever uh, is our opportunity as a business called Human Connection to be pushing our voice and our uh, our help out there to the community. On today's episode, we've got, a, uh, I guess, a, to be completely blunt, a man I've been following for years, but our connection's relatively new. Uh, I finally got a chance to catch up with Glenn, Glenn Azar a few weeks ago, uh, and we've kind of been in touch since. And it's a great opportunity to have you on the show today. Glenn, I'm super grateful to have you here. Uh, I don't want to take away the intro that you can give yourself, but I'll start with just saying a man that something that we just chatted about off air is, has done 79 trips of the Kokoda which I find uh, super fascinating. But tell us a little bit about yourself and adventure professionals and, and the rest of it. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, I've sort of connected with you recently, as you said, and I feel like we kind of sit whilst many, many years apart. We discussed off air that I did my first Kokoda when you were 10. Um, yeah, but we're kind of along a similar path as far as empowering people, etc. Uh, brief story for me, uh, 17 years in the Australian Army. That was my first real job. Um, I started as an infantry soldier, specialised in aviation medicine. So I'm a registered nurse by trade and I do helicopter evacuations, um, Iroquois and Blackhawks when I was in the Army. That led me into um, working on the Kokoda track and other adventures. And I got out of the Army in September 09. In uh, February of 2010, I started Adventure Professionals. And it's just a company that leads people to Kokoda, Everest Base Camp, Kilimanjaro, climbs in Russia, South America, all around the world. So that's the basis of that side of my life. I've got four children. I've got three, uh, three daughters, uh, 25, 23, 12-year-old, and I've got a 16-year-old son as well. And uh, we also run a little gym called Project 180 in Brisbane. And, of course, I run my own podcast called The Building Better Humans Project. So that's kind of everything you know, 47 years of my life nut, nut ball down into one little thing for you. It can be hard to summarise, I think, sometimes. And even at 28 when someone goes, so who are you? And it's like, well, how long's the podcast episode? <laughs> I guess where we want to kick off things uh, is I find it really fascinating, the, the journey you've had. And I know you've had, uh, correct me, uh, on the business name, it was Fighting, Fighting Fit, I think, in Toowoomba. Was, that was where you, your first gym kind of started. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you've transitioned from going from a kickboxing or a boxing gym, if, I, if I'm correct, into Adventure Professionals, now Project 180 in, uh, in Brisbane here. Yeah, so years ago, while still in the Army, uh, the only thing I really did out in the civilian world was I was competing as a boxer. And I was okay at it and as a kickboxer. Uh, I wasn't great, but I enjoyed the sport. Uh, I then transitioned into training fighters and I was very good at training fighters, very good at motivating people, that sort of thing. So I did that outside of the military and then I started training corporate guys. I had all these guys that wanted to learn boxing and I was, you know, business owners and lawyers and doctors and all sorts of people um, who I would train and then they would get in the ring and they would fight in corporate fight nights, which I've got to be honest, I thought was crazy at the time <laughs> because I'm looking at these guys thinking, you're worth a fortune, you earn good money, you've got good careers, why do you need to get punched in the face? But 
I guess I, it's a very primal side to us to be challenged more than anything else I realise now. Um, and it's funny, so you train these guys up, they'd get in our corporate fights, they'd raise tens of thousands of dollars for charity, so there was a good side to it. One of them is a, quite a big business owner who I won't name, but um, he said this is the one bit of life where there's uncertainty, where I haven't got all of these business owners, uh, sorry, all these managers and stuff looking at me and I'm the big boss. You know, there's uncertainty and there's challenge and it was just a real sort of primal um, sort of thing. And that's kind of how that started as a little studio in the back of a dance studio in, in the main street of Toowoomba many, many years ago while I was going to university and while I was being a soldier. And that, I did that for 13 years. Um, it was a hobby for nine years. And then when I got out of the army, I took it a bit more seriously because I had to feed myself. I wasn't relying on an army wage and that's when I got more serious. And it grew astronomically over that sort of 2010 to 2013. In fact, it doubled in size every year for three years straight and then someone came in and bought it off me. So it was quite a good story at the time. And But I missed it. And then once I moved to Brisbane and I was out of the game for a few years, I decided to get back into it. It's As you would know, fitness is hard to make a financial living out of. you know, as a as a standalone thing, but I just love the whole concept of building people into better people. And physical is one tiny piece of it. And I say tiny because I think mindset and your community, the people you surround yourself with, is a much bigger part. So I started getting into personal development, and then kind of married those two things together. Yeah, I, I'm a <clears throat> excuse me. I'm a massive believer in you know that physical element of training or strength training, cardio training, whatever we want to category we want to go into is is just really only scratching the surface on c- creating a better person. Uh, someone asked me earlier what mental health was to me, and I, I kind of put everything into the whole package because we see Australia quite often say one in four Australians will deal with their mental health, but you and I both know as well as each other, everyone's dealing with their mental health. It's just whether we're on the positive uh, end of it or we're heading towards dealing with a, a mental illness. But one thing I wanted to hone in on then is you talked about these business owners that having that uncertainty was really good for them. So we talk in schools quite often and when parents or teachers ask me, how do I teach, how do I give these kids that self-worth element? Something I always tell them is to go do things that they're uncertain about and go do things that kind of scare them. I think that's why equine therapy in horses and high ropes is really, really successful. Uh, Do you think that's where the business owners were heading with that? Yeah, I do think so. Like in the military, obviously we deal with uncertainty all the time. But one of the things we did regularly was called adventure training, where we'd take people out, we'd go abseiling and we'd go, we'd put them in situations that scared them. And the idea was to make them uncomfortable, but their peer group would help them achieve something. Sadly, what I see in today's world is we've all kind of retracted into this comfort zone or the majority of Western society. And right now through this coronavirus, you're seeing the negatives of that where we've been trying to be comfortable and we've retracted into ourselves to the point where our comfort zone right now has been smashed and we've got no control over that. And because we haven't challenged ourselves, because we haven't dealt with uncertainty, we don't have the resilience that we should have because resilience is built through experiences where you felt uncomfortable, where you felt stretched, you felt challenges, you felt uncertain. And as parents, sometimes we can go in and try and clear the way for little Johnny or little Sally thinking we're doing the right thing. But what we're really doing is robbing them of the chance of internal growth. So they're going to grow up uncertain, not sure how to deal with challenges. And when something like what's happening right now happens, they just don't know how to deal. And that is incredibly dangerous 
to give us, you know, poor mental health issues coming out the other side. Because like you say, we all have mental health. It's just it's whether it's good or bad and whether like physical health, we're either in good or bad physical shape and mental shape. We're not giving kids the tools and even adults the tools if we don't let them fail, fall over, dust themselves off, understand the consequences and work out how to do it better. We did it all the time in the military and yet in the, out in the civilian world, I noticed less than those people do it. But the truly successful business owners I've dealt with and successful people, they look for that uncertainty. They look to be challenged because they understand that being uncomfortable is something that is required of them. And that's why I think they succeed in the long term. Yeah, I think uh, so. The, the word entrepreneur now is such a buzzword that everyone wants to be one. But I think the successful business owners, and I much prefer the word business owner over entrepreneur, I think, are the ones that challenge themselves and they're the ones that succeed, not the ones that start 74 businesses and, you know, keep chasing that shiny thing that don't want to actually get uncomfortable in it. Yeah, mate, entrepreneurship is a big thing, particularly for your age group, to be honest. It wasn't really around a few years ago, um, you know, because I'm nearly 50 and it wasn't around even 10 years ago. It wasn't so big. Entrepreneur to me are your Richard Branson's and, Mm. you know, your Steve Jobs and those sort of guys doing really kind of left of field things. As a personal trainer, which is how I started out when I started running gyms, and as a, a guy that runs adventures and stuff, I'm not an entrepreneur. sort of you know left the field things more than anything else so yeah it's i I mean it's just a terminology but yeah i agree business owners um, and success in business owners are the people who can stick to things over the long term not to the point where you stick to something that's just not working and keep banging your head against the same wall you can have the same goal but look for a different way to achieve it you know there's obviously there's got to be a fine line in all of that but yeah i just think too often we all get wrapped up in chasing then what's the next thing what's the next high what's the next um, you can be addicted to that stuff as much as to a drug and alcohol, you know, or any other thing. Yeah, we can turn. I was saying we can turn into magpies with that shiny object chasing. But uh, where I wanted to to head, Glenn, is into our three pillars. So, Human Connection Project. Our goal is relatively simple. As like I, I think the, the way you've phrased yours is really clear and simple. As you build better humans, our goal is to build the global on a global scale the largest proactive. Uh, human connection and mental health-led organisation. Our reactive systems in Australia are phenomenal. You get sick, we've got a fantastic reactive medical system. You need psychology, we've got a fantastic reactive psychology system and we've got the likes of Lifeline, but we don't really have proactive systems. So what we devise is we have three pillars empathy, leadership, and empowerment. And that's how we measure, we build frameworks, and we implement human connection. So for me to tell you, uh, you know, go call your neighbor or go, you know, deliver something to your neighbor to improve your connection, it's kind of like, yeah, is is that actually going to equal anything? But when we can give you a genuine framework around that human connection, it's much more powerful. And I'd love to hear in particular your thoughts on leadership, but just on every three pillar, uh, a kind of summary for you what empathy, leadership, and empowerment means. Uh, yeah, so leadership's obviously something I specialise in after seven years in the army, so I'll come back to that. Um, and, and for me, I would as soon as I hear the word empowerment, it kind of ties into what leaders do. But empathy for me is understanding other people's points of view or at least understanding that they have other points of view um, or understanding what they're experiencing, what they're going through. So an example would be, I don't know, a little example, someone cuts you off in traffic. Rather than beeping your horn and having road rage and being angry with them, just understand 
there's clearly something that's happened in their world. Maybe they just didn't notice you. But, you know, maybe when someone's a grip, when I was younger, I'd want to fight everyone. Make no mistake. But as I got older and kind of matured, I realized there's something going on in their life. They could have just had a fight at home with their partner. They could be on the way to a bad meeting for work or, you know, you don't know what's happening with people. So empathy is just understanding that, um, if someone does something to you that offends you, it's not about you, it's about whatever's going on in their life. So become curious. I wonder why they did that. And if you have conversations with people when they're angry, I just wonder why you're responding like that. I'm not offended by it at all. It's just understanding that hurt people hurt people. They don't. People don't lash out when they're feeling good about life. We've all done it. We've all lashed out at someone, but it never happens when you're feeling good about life, when you're on that high. It happens when you're struggling with something. So get curious about, well, I wonder why that they're experiencing that or wonder what's happening, might be happening outside of this interaction for, for you and I. That's a better way of coming at it. So to me, that's empathy is I don't have to agree with everything you do or say, but it helps if I can understand where you're coming from and then we'll find some middle ground as opposed to just putting a wall up and going, well, you're wrong, I'm right, and this is why I'm right, and now we've got a fight on our hands. You know, that's... That's where I come from with empathy, and it's taken me a lot of years to learn that because the military is not great on empathy. We're kind of hard and fast where there's a way we're going to do things, and you're either in the way uh, or you're on our side. There's no there's no middle ground. Obviously, that's, that's what we do. So that's how I would look at empathy, and I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and there's been some amazing differences in the way people view those three pillars, which I love because we've all got different ways of dealing with things. But, you know, I can have an argument or a disagreement with someone on Facebook. I don't delete them as a friend. They're still friends. We just don't agree with something. That's whatever. Like, to me, that's where where empathy comes in. And again, I think it's an acquired skill that takes time. But the biggest thing I can say is just get curious about why other people think the way they do. Empowerment for me is giving people the tools to be able to work things out for themselves, not doing things for them. So, Clearly, my daughter's, uh, my second daughter is 23. Alyssa, she's climbed Mount Everest twice as a 19 and as a 21-year-old, which is phenomenal. Yeah. But none of that was done for her. And had when she made that decision at 14, the hard decision, we worked out, well, what does that road look like? But every step of the road that we worked out together, she had to take the step. I couldn't do it for her. So I didn't try and clear the road because I wanted her to be empowered if she makes mistakes, she gets it wrong, she understands the consequence, she gets up, she dusts herself off, she does it again. If I had constantly cleared the road, I wouldn't be empowering her. I'd be trying to hand everything to her on a silver platter, which is actually setting her up for failure because somewhere on that mountain or any of the other mountains she's climbed, her life is going to be in her hands based on the decisions that she was making, the experiences that she's had, the resilience that she's built up. So if I cleared her way to a certain point, I would have done her a massive disservice and truthfully risked her life. Now, that's extreme. Not everyone's kids are going to do that. But I believe this when I'm leading people who work for me, when I led people in the military, and the way I try and bring up my children is give them the tools, but don't pave the road for them. That's up to them to do the work. So we identify the road. We said, this is what needs to be done. Now she goes and does it. That was it. That's empowerment. Empowerment's not doing stuff for people. It's not answering the questions for them all the time. It's letting them work it out themselves because through that experience, they get better. And to me, leadership is about, well, right now, one of the things I love about leadership, I absolutely love leadership. Leadership is about finding the calm in the chaos. No matter what is going on in the world, I know with us in the military, if you're in the middle of a shit fight, 
the last thing you want to do is look for the person that's freaking out and panicking, whether they're overexcited or and overstimulated or whether they're you know depressed and like freaking out. You don't want either of those extremes. You want people that are just calm, that are looking objectively and subjectively at what's going on around them and then making really calm decisions. They make you feel calm. So it's easy to be a leader right you know in good times anyone can be a leader because everyone's feeling good when people feel bad when people feel challenged when they feel uncertain like we're going through right now they need calmness they need certainty they need you to build confidence that hey if i look over at this guy or this girl and they seem okay and they're our leader then maybe things are okay because i do believe the world will kind of recenter itself and rebalance at some point and there is a bit of hurt coming all of our way from mental health through to financial difficulty and everything linked in between but the calmer we can be as leaders, the better people are going to be. And it's just about, again, giving them the opportunities to fail, giving them the opportunities to learn, uh, not thinking that our way is the only way, being willing to listen to everyone in the process, but then at some point having to say, this is the way we're going to step forward. So leadership is about building other leaders. It's very cliche, but it's true. If you can build other people up so that they can lead in your absence, then you've actually done your job as a leader. If you build them up so they have to rely on you to be there to answer every question, you haven't led them. You, you've managed them. You've managed their skill sets, but you haven't been a leader for them. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> and we said offline that I was super excited to hear uh, you define leadership because, as you've said, this is something all our podcasts essentially talk into. I want to hear people's opinions and thoughts and leadership on empathy, leadership and empowerment and we've had some fantastic guests talk about empathy and we've had some fantastic guests talk about empowerment but we haven't yet had someone who's got a real niche of leadership. So I think that that chapter there is going to be really beneficial to our listeners. What I wanted to get through from that is to the element of you talk, You touched on it earlier and I spoke on a, uh, a Better Homes Summit this morning, so Happy Homes, talking about children and family. And I'm always very careful when talking about how to be a parent because I'm not a parent and I, I hate nothing more than people that aren't parents telling somebody else how to parent. Um, but the question was around what's happening today, uh, what the best thing parents can do. So we often get kids and we've been saying it for the last 10 years that we, we're going through a generation of not much resilience, if any at all. And the kids that come out of, like, kids, and I say kids, uh, you know, so school-aged children right now, they're going to be so resilient, but it's up to parents to allow them to see that. Um, you touched on it earlier, but for the parents that are listening to us, can you kind of dive into that a little bit more in, in how to be a leader in a family right now during coronavirus? Yeah, this is a great one, and I can give you a, a real-time example in a moment, but... For me, uh, leading people, you know, out on a battlefield type situation, as in, in you know, out in uh, deployments, leading people in businesses, leading people through tough times, and leading our children are all the same. Um, a problem we can often have as a parent in this generation, because we grew up with a tougher generation of parents, so my generation kind of became soft, and we want to be friends with our kids, and I get, that's cool. <laughs> But kids need to be led and people need to be led. So they do look to you for guidance and certainty. And how we give them kids certainty is still to be calm. I talk to my children, you know, the same way I would talk to you about something. But I said to my uh, my youngest daughter's 12 years old, so she's in year seven. And I was driving her to school uh, for the last week that she was at school, so two weeks ago when they were still going to school. And I said to her, 
How are you feeling about all this coronavirus stuff? Because at that stage, we were being bombarded. Lockdowns were coming bang, bang, bang. You were getting updates two or three times a day. It was, you know, as you know, in gyms, it was it was coming down to, boom, doors closed, all in a few days. Uh, and I just said, well, how do you feel about it? And she said, yeah, I feel fine. I said, you're not nervous about it? You're not anxious, stressed, worried about it? She said, no. Nah. And then I thought, that's interesting. She's probably not because I'm not. And they feed off us. Now, if they see us being, I remember as a kid, we grew up fairly um, poor, fairly low socioeconomic. And I always remember my parents, we were always fed and we always had a roof over our heads. We, we, you know, we, we didn't have much spare and we'd get paid fortnightly and we seemed to run out of money towards the end of every fortnight because that was, you know, kind of life back then. And I remember hearing my parents talk about it at night. Now, we were never without food and we were never without a house. But I remember as a 9, 10, 11-year-old, hearing them and feeling their stress. And I said, wait, lay awake at night, worried that we were going to be kicked out of our house or we weren't going to have food or we had no money. Even though I never actually experienced that, we were always well fed, we were always clothed, we always had the house, but we were feeding off this stress and energy that our parents were having where we constantly felt vulnerable. What I'm really good at is just being really calm. Like right now, our adventure business and our gym are both pretty much non-existent until all of this lifts. So we've lost 90% of our income. And yet I feel way too calm for that to be the case. Um, And that's just because of all my life experiences. I'm now waiting for the dust to settle before I make a decision. So I guess I feel like Samantha, my youngest daughter, she takes her calm, and her mum's a nurse. So she's at the front line dealing with this. And yet she's pretty calm too. It's just like very clinical. We've got to go in and we've got to do what we've got to do, you know, so we're not stressed. We're just dealing with things as they come up. So she's not stressed. But if we were people that listened to the news every night and we bought into it, and then we sat around the kitchen table going, wow, this is crazy. The whole world's falling apart. Our shares aren't worth what they were. We, we, we might lose our jobs. And we were putting that sort of stress and anxiety, even if they're overhearing it, then they're going to be stressed. Now, they can't change anything. As a 12-year-old, she can't go and get a job. She can't fix anything. She can't go and get money out of her bank to help us. So we're putting her in a situation of feeling vulnerable about something she cannot change. And that's we're the same. I can, you and I can't change anything in this current situation. We've just got to adapt to it and be as calm as we can. So my biggest advice to parents is just consider if you do feel the need to talk about this stuff, how can it be done away from the kids? Because kids pick up on your energy um, they pick up on how you're feeling, definitely overhearing what you're saying, even in the bedroom. Kids lay awake at night. They hear that stuff. And if they think mum and dad are stressed out, well, even as a 12-year-old, you know, mum and dad are the leaders for them. So if they feel like you're uncertain, that makes them feel very vulnerable and very at risk. So therefore, they're going to buy into all the stuff that they're reading and all the stuff that they're finding out. And, and I'm kind of proud that my daughter was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not that stressed about it. Yeah. Because we weren't that stressed about it. And her schools handled it really well. I've got to say, the school's done a really good job as well. And so I think the biggest thing, it's no different than our employees or soldiers on the battlefield. Just be calm and let them, they don't need to know everything. They need to know the bits that are relevant to them. And you just need to make them feel calm, confident and loved and that they're going to be okay. Yeah. And they will handle the situation well. That's exactly it. I um. I have been saying to a lot of people, they're like, are you stressed? Like you be, like we're the same as you. We've, we run corporate and school-based workshops and obviously both of those are non-existent mm-hmm. and we've gone, we've lost 100% of revenue, unfortunately. Uh, but everyone's like, are you stressed? I'm like, no, like I feel like we've been training for this. Like it's like yeah. the best players on a rugby league field on grand final day 
are the ones that are really calm, the best captains, you know, some of the time they are, but a lot of the time aren't the best players. Um, we can touch on that with Carlo later. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, the, be- the captains aren't necessarily the best players, but they're the guys that when it's the last minute and it's a draw are steering the ship towards the field goal. And it's the same now. Like everyone's like, you're not stressed, like your business is this and that. And I was like, like, this is what we train. For. This is what I train all preseason for. Now it's finally game day. Like, if I fall over now, I better change my business name because we need human connection now more than ever. If, I, if, if I'm not around, then why do we start for? Well, for people like you and I that do what we do, this is literally the chance to walk our talk. Mm-hmm. So, again, there are a lot of people in the coaching space that put up positive quotes and the pictures of the Lions and all that stuff. Well, if they fall apart now then they've been full of it for the last few years. They've talked about that stuff. So for me, I'm, I'm like you. I feel, I feel like I'm built for this. Mm. I feel like people should look to me to be calm. I'm getting actually a surprising amount of online work through companies wanting, because all their staff are working from home. Mm. They're starting to feel the pinch. We're only two weeks into this thing, um, you know, three weeks for some people. And then all of these people are working from home. They're isolated. They're trying to homeschool kids. Mum and dad are both trying to work from home. There's an inordinate amount of stress. I've got a really good friend of mine said, I love my husband, like love him. But after two weeks of working together, both trying to homeschool, both trying to do our work, I'm ready to strangle him too. <laughs> so that's that's reality, right? That's yep. part of life. And, and I guess for, right across the board, there's all this stress, but we can still help people through this, people like you and I, because we now get to walk our talk. And in a year, two years and five years, we'll still be able to talk about how we navigated our way through this. And as long as I can still afford my phone bill, I will still put content out there. That's how basic it is. I've got yeah. all the equipment I need. I'll go to free Wi-Fi if I have to. I'll never stop trying to encourage people, no matter how uncertain and how crappy the world gets, to feel that, hey, we, there's only certain things we can control, so let's control them and just see where things fall. And the best thing about what we're currently going through, and none of it's good, but the best thing is we're all in the same boat. All that really changes for most of us is the zeros. Mm. Nearly everyone, whether they've had big share portfolios or properties or, or, or big jobs, they've nearly, I've got mates who have got high, mid, mid to high six-figure jobs that have lost their jobs. Mm. Imagine losing four dollars to $600,000 in an income that you thought was pretty safe just because the business has cut 80% of their workforce. Uh, and, and like anyone, they overexpend. They live on way more than they need to. Like you would say... 500 grand a year, I would save so much money, but people live up to that. I would never have to do it. Well, that's what I think. (laughs) But they have the nice cars and the big houses and the expensive lifestyles, and all of a sudden it stops, the whole world goes, ooh. So all that's changed is is the zeros. We've all Mm. been brought back to a level playing field. That gives me comfort by knowing that we're not in this, you you and I haven't done anything wrong for our businesses to be where they currently are. We know they'll bounce back because people are going to need building better humans. They're going to need human connection. They're going to need resilience. They need all of this stuff. We're actually going to realize at the other end of this that money will never have the same value it once had because we will now realize that the currency in this world is being able to get outside, is being able to have human connection, being able to sit down and have a coffee with your mates or go and have a beer or go for a hike. All those things we can't do right now are way more important than money. But for the last you know, 40 years of my life. If I look at Western society, it's all been about money. That's we've always looked for the next biggest thing, the next, the car and the house and the boat and the holiday and the, 
I, I believe now that particularly human connection, it is going to be the hottest commodity going around because that's what people are missing. Mm. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> and you're probably at a similar in the fitness industry. One of the biggest things I'm missing right now, and I feel like a void in my soul because of it, is high fiving someone after a workout. Yeah, only so many Zoom calls you can do, and and virtual high fives you can do in a session. Mm. It's not the same. It's really um, not. You're just missing that. It's it's. I talked to a mate of mine on my podcast the other day, and he's a psychologist, and he said. It's the incidental um, conversations. It's walking past and just saying g'day to people in the gym or at mm. the cafe or, hey, how's your weekend on your, while you're waiting for your coffee. All of those things are slowly eroding as well. Yeah, it's, it's, we will, we'll, we'll get through it. We just need to hold what I keep telling people is we need to hold the metaphorical hand of each other right now and those that collaborate will thrive at the back of this and those that don't will survive but we always want to look for the T, not the S. What I want to touch on and conscious of time really quickly is uh, we're very similar and as we both sit here today, we're, I guess, wearing our brands, uh, which I think is which really cool and shows, <laughs> you know, shows the similarities in mission. And everyone knows ours obviously is How Good's Living but not dead yet. Right now, I sat on a Zoom call uh, or a Facebook Live, I should say, a couple of weeks ago when you put sales out there and you were inundated. Tell us about Not Dead Yet. Yeah, so Not Dead Yet is um, a hashtag we came up with a few years ago about we do what we do because we're not dead yet. So, you know, why would you do 79 Kokoda track crossings or why would you, <laughs> for Alyssa, why would she climb Mount Everest? Or why would, because we can, because we're alive. And I think it's... I think sometimes it's a disrespect to people that don't live a full life for whatever reason that we just cruise through life not having experiences. I look at uh, when I'm over on Kokoda and you, there's the biggest war cemetery in the Southern Hemisphere, the biggest Australian war cemetery in the world. There are 16, 17, 18 kids buried there who went to war two and a half hours north of Brisbane to try and stop, stop the Japanese invading who gave up their lives. You almost owe it to these people to live the best life that you can because they didn't get that opportunity. And so for me, Not Dead Yet is just about that. It's about doing what we do because we're not dead yet. These shirts, we have long sleeve hoodies and T-shirts. You can only get them by doing an adventure with us. That was always our rule. People would contact me all the time. I'd love to buy a shirt. They're $6,000. You have to do Kokoda and then I'll give you the shirt. Um, (laughs) But just recently with everything happening, I just said, you know what, we will sell some. And I thought we'd probably sell about 20. Um, I literally spent two days packaging shirts. I've run out of certain sizes. It it just went crazy. I created a job for myself, which I didn't want to do. Um, but people really resonated with uh, this is almost a defiance that we're not going to roll over. We're not going to let this thing or any other thing beat us. We're not dead yet and we're going to stand and represent that. And I actually wrote up a little card and sent that out with the shirts, which was just a last minute thing to say, wear this brand with pride because you will you will not be defeated. That's the call that you're making. You get to decide your values and that is your value is that we're going to stand up. We're going to take this thing head on until we come out the other side. We're going to make sure we look after the people around us in the process and we're going to do it all because we're not dead yet. That's unreal. So I, uh, <clears throat> it emulated really well with me and I, I had no idea the backstory behind it, which I wanted to get it first person from yourself. So what it, what it did for me is obviously you're well aware of the f- 
the loss I had and, and Cam definitely had of Justin five years ago. And that's where it came from. That's why I felt so connected to it because I can still remember, like everyone that was there that day, when we lowered Justin's coffin into the ground, I had my hands on the coffin and I had this little thing like everything I do now, I have to do for two. And I know that the other boys would have done the exact same thing. So that's why I think it's <clears throat> catching on with so many people because, you know, we're not the only people that have lost someone. Everyone's lost someone. And a lot of us, when we go through that loss, make this agreement with uh, the person they've just lost it. I'll, I'll do this for you now or I'll live for you now, etc. something along those lines. So I think that's that's why I was interested to hear where it came from because that's what it definitely struck me on because a lot of people were like, mate, you're doing too much, you're doing this. I'm like, mm, I've, got, I've got the energy of two people doing this, um, which I think is unreal and why the shirt's... Hey. Popular. It's the same for us. Like obviously, as soldiers, there's we've got plenty of people in our world that haven't made it to full eyes, whether overseas or whether since coming home have succumbed to, uh, you know, the black dog. We've had uh, obviously Alyssa being in the mountaineering world. A lot of people die doing that. Um, so I just think that it's initially when we started, people kind kind of it's a bit disrespectful, isn't it, to people that have passed? I said no, it's the opposite. It's the mm. ultimate respect to them to say that because you didn't get to do this, we will. And that becomes a driving force. I definitely, yeah, think it's a driving force for a lot of people. Now, Glennie, in, uh, in wrap-up, I've someone I emulate is Mark Burris, and I know you would have heard on the other couple of podcasts at the end of it, uh, and this podcast probably a bit different, it's more conversational, but usually it's me firing a lot of questions uh, and the guests doing a lot of answering, and I try to pivot that. For the last question of the podcast, is there any, any questions you have for Human Connection Project or myself or... How good's living? There's no, I know there's no full stop or question mark perhaps at the end of this. <laughs> I feel like there should be a question mark, but I get the brand. <laughs> um, but if I was to ask you anything, it would be to, because you're young, and I say that with no disrespect, mm. but, you know, um, there's a, quite an age gap between us. You know, are you someone that looks at where this project is going to be in five and ten years? Because in my feeling is human connection is never going to go out the more connected we become online, the more actual human connection people are going to crave. And we've learnt that through this. But where is this brand and this movement ideally in five or ten years? Yeah, that's yeah, sensational. I'm a really BHAG kind of person. And for those that don't know what the BHAG is, it's that big, hairy, audacious goal. It's maybe a marketing term, but I really like it and it resonates well with me. So our, where we want to get in five years' time is Australia's largest proactive mental health and human connection-led organisation. Uh, in 10 years' time, I want that to be global. Uh, and it's very easy to say that, but what I mean by that is that we have so much education, so many systems, platforms, resources, everything you can get your hands on essentially to educate us on what it is to keep our mental health in check because like we discussed at the start, we're all dealing with it. So I want to make sure that we've got enough information out there so Glenn, Matt, Simon, Kelly all have resources where they can learn how to how to circuit break their mental health and my circuit breaker I talk about all the time is the same as an electrical circuit breaker, too much electricity coming into a house or a dodgy appliance, a circuit breaker flicks to keep you safe. I use the same analogy of your mental health. If there's too much stimulus coming in or you've got a dodgy appliance, i.e. you're doing something that's taken away from your mental health, your circuit breaker has to flick. And these are the kind of things we want to educate the, the globe with uh, so we don't have to have that reactive measure. We don't have to have millions of phone calls going to Lifeline every year. We don't have to have, you know, we're looking at 12 suicides a day at the moment. Recorded numbers eight. Realistically, it's about 12. When we look at single vehicle accidents and, and falls and off the back of coronavirus, 
I predict we're going to see that be around 50 a day, so 4x. And the reality is that the figure we end up with might dwarf that. So, yeah, five to 10, 10 years. And as you can tell, I could talk about it forever. I'm super passionate about it is creating that proactive platform so we're not losing. And, and what we also get confused on is the stats that come out. We have to always remember that those eight lives or those 12 lives are someone's mother, father, daughter, son. They're not just a number. And it's the same when we talk about how many you know people we've lost in military, for example. And I know you, you, aren't, you are someone who preaches this as well. Like They're not just deaths. They're someone's son that hasn't come back. Um, so there, that's where we're headed for five to 10 years. I heard a similar stat from a psychologist just yesterday that they were predicting three to four hundred percent increase in suicides mm. in six to twelve months' time, which is bloody scary. You know, it's something that we need to keep on top of the people around us. So, yeah, I, I fully get that. Yeah, well, imagine if we're losing fifty a day to coronavirus. You know, and, and any death is an absolute tragedy. Don't get me wrong, but if we were losing fifty a day to coronavirus, we'd be not leaving a house. Like, we'd have welders on our front doors, like China. Um, but we're not, so we're, you know, we need to keep that in mind that suicide is going to be the biggest killer at the end of this. Yeah, 100%. Well, mate, I want to, um, I want to thank you first and foremost for uh, jumping on the episode today and jumping on the podcast, and I also want to thank you for everything you do with, with your own podcast and your own business because I think the more people in this space, the better, and, and mental health and human connection and building better humans is such a collaborative space that, yeah, it's really nice to connect with people on the same journey and age you know, age is just a number. So it's good to see people <laughs> on the same journey. Thanks, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure we'll uh, connect further down the future. No, oh, guaranteed. Absolutely. Thank you and we'll chat soon. Hey, guys, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. I know and we know times are very difficult and, dare I say it, unprecedented right now. So I would urge you now more than ever to lean into your friends, lean into your community and make sure we're connecting to each other because we will make it out of this, but we need to be standing metaphorically hand in hand right now. If this has stirred any emotions to you, please make sure you reach out to a loved one or Lifeline on 13 11 14. And remember, how good's living.